You're listening to Stocks for Docs, a podcast to educate healthcare professionals to build wealth through value investing in the stock market. I'm your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Stocks for Docs. I am your host, Dr. Vivetta Lobo, and I am so excited and happy to be here with you today. Um, And so today we're going to uh, go back to some of our fundamentals, kind of talking about our principles again. And for those of you who've been listening, uh, we have now reviewed all four of Charlie Munger's uh, principles in value investing. And he has four of those, and we've had an episode now on each of them in depth. So the first one being circle of competence, uh, the ability to understand um, a company that you're planning to invest in. The second one being your moat which is that durable competitive advantage a company has so it can outlast its peers. Um, The third one being management, uh, which is uh, important that you have people of integrity that is running the company. And the last one um, is price, which basically means that you want to come up with a price that makes sense for that stock, um, for that share in that company. Uh, because no matter how wonderful the company is, uh, you know you don't want to buy it at any price. And so, how do you come up with that price, and how do you um, how do you then execute when the time is right? So we went through all of those, and so I thought it would be fun to kind of show you this in action, right? So, what does that mean? Well, how do I use these principles when I'm now assessing a company? How do I put it all together um, to then decide? Okay, this is something that I'm going to. This company is one that I'm actually interested in. It meets my criteria. I'm going to put it on my watch list or if the price is right currently, I'm going to go ahead and buy it. So how do you do that? How do you put it all together? So I thought an example um, and just kind of walking through what that looks like for a real company would make a lot of sense and kind of see, um, kind of show you my approach um, on how I do this. So The company I picked for today um, to go through this exercise is Microsoft. So the ticker for Microsoft is MSFT. Microsoft has obviously been around for a long time. It's really well known. Um, And the process that I'm going to go through probably takes me about 20 to 30 minutes these days. If I'm really interested in a company or I want to get to know it better, the process of sort of assessing it, making my decision um, you know, whether or not I'm going to go ahead and put it on my watch list or no, I'm, it's not something I'm interested in doing. Um, it takes me about 30 minutes now to do the research and kind of look it up. So you need your laptop, you need the internet, um, and then there's really, you know, all you need in order to figure that out. So let's go back. All right. So circle of competence. So let's decide, is Microsoft the company within my circle of competence? Well, Microsoft is a software enterprise, right? It's in that industry. It's obviously well known for its Windows operating system and Office, which have products like Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, which a lot of us are familiar with. They also own LinkedIn, Skype, and GitHub, so all big names that we've heard of. It was started in the 1970s, I think it was 1975, um, by Bill Gates and Paul Allen. And it basically turned the personal computer, the term PC, into a household name. And eventually over time, it then expanded into productivity software, uh, service software, internet services, video games, hardware, and then of course, a, a cloud or a clouding company, which it does really well these days as well. It's based in Washington in the US. 
Uh, its CEO is Satya Nadella, who I'm a big fan of. And it's a large corporation, right? It has over 160,000 employees uh, worldwide, which is a big number. So does it fit in my circle of competence? Well, I thought about it and I said, I think so, right? I mean, I, I'm definitely a user of, of Microsoft. I mean, most of us who've ever used Office products, right? I use Word document all the time, Excel, PowerPoint. Uh, you know, I, I'm an educator. And so all of my slides and my presentations um, are largely on PowerPoint. And so I have seen PowerPoint develop and update and uh, optimize over the years, um, and while I can't say that my, my laptop is a Microsoft product, it's not Windows-based, I am an Apple user, um, I have used it, and it was really how I started to learn the computer, right? When I first started using computers, um, you know, the big desktops that sat on my, my table and took up all of my table space with the big CPU unit under, under the desk, they were all Windows operating units, uh, and that is how I first used the computer for, for years until laptops became more popular. And eventually, let's say in the past maybe 10 years or so now, I've been probably largely an Apple user. But I, I felt like I could understand Microsoft, at least maybe not all of its products and all of its services, but a good majority of them. It clearly touches most of us in our world. Um, in some capacity and the other. And so I, I definitely think it's one that I can get behind. Uh, and that was my initial reaction, right? I mean, like most of us, you have this gut reaction when you think about a product or not. And so definitely um, it's a company that's interesting to me. Uh, and when I do read about it, um, it's something that makes sense. I can follow it. Um, for example, in March, there was the they had come out with an article, really it was good news, that Microsoft received a contract to supply over 120,000 Microsoft HoloLens augmented reality headsets to the U.S. Army. And I remember reading about that, and I was interested in that article. Um, I was interested in what those uh, headsets looked like, what it actually did. Um, and then I realized that the deal that they were talking about was going to be worth something like $20 billion or more dollars in 10 years. And it was definitely something I was interested in, uh, appreciated reading. It wasn't something that was boring to me. And that was a good sign. That means that I have passion for this. I'm interested in it. And that's kind of my caliber when I'm thinking about a company. Uh, you, know, exact, you know, you don't have to understand every detail and every product, but I think you need to have the capability to do that in, if, if you were to go ahead and spend time and do a deep dive and read it. Is it something that's going to be interesting? It's going to hold your attention? Uh, because we do a lot in our lives, right? We do a lot of things that are very busy, a lot of things that are necessary, that are needed, not always, that might not always be the most interesting things to us. But, um, you know, I have a full-time job. I take care of my house, my kids. There's, there's a lot of duties with that. And so when it comes to my investing practice, I think it's really important to me that it isn't boring. <laughs> this is something I'm choosing to do in my time and my time, my free time or my time when I'm not doing the rest of the other stuff. And so it has to be something that is valuable or adds value to me. And it's not something that I'm, you know, dreading to do. Um, and so that's, that's a big indicator for me, whether or not this is something that I want to invest in, because Remember, when you are picking a company, you're going to create this life, hopefully, 
create this lifelong relationship with this company. You're going to want to read about it all the time. When it pops up in the news, you're going to be interested in knowing what it is that's happening about it. Um, And so pick carefully, pick wisely, and then just pick things that make sense and you're interested in because by default, you're going to be more likely to stay engaged with that. Um, So I think that for me, Microsoft fits in my circle of competence pretty well, and I definitely have the capability and the interest to stay engaged and understand it. So that's a check. Great. So now we move on to our second one, which is moat. The moat is that competitive advantage that a company has against its peers or competitors, right? It's that special thing that it has that keeps it in the market year after year, keeps that large market share within its uh, boundaries and doesn't give it away easily. Um, And so when I think of moat for a company, sometimes it'll pop in, you know, it's very easy to pick certain moats out. So when I was thinking of Microsoft, Microsoft, first I wasn't quite sure. I couldn't figure out or put my finger. I I was like, there's definitely a moat. I just couldn't decide which one. And then I thought about it some more. I did some more reading and I kind of came out with a list of three. Um, So I listed uh, definitely a network moat, right? So most users or the more users or people that use the product, use Microsoft, use Office, the higher the value, right? Because if I'm sending you a document, like a Word document on email, you then need to have Office on your computer in order to download and read it. And so now you're required to have that product. So, you know, Office product, for example, is is universal right now, right? Everyone just assumes that you have it. Sure, there's now a little bit of a shift, I would say, to putting things on the cloud and the other services that have competed in this market, like Google, Google Drive, that's a big one that has come to mind that I have personally started to shift some of my my documents. But I still use Office and PowerPoint and Excel a lot in my daily life and my daily practices. And so it is something that the more people use, the more value it has. Uh, it keeps you loyal to other people who have those products. Uh, so definitely a network moat that's easily arguable. The second moat I think it has is a brand value, right? So going back to the office example, if you have office, office is universally used in all industries, right? It's become like a household name. Um, you know, you just almost default, or a lot of us will default using Word documents for our for our CVs, for our resumes, for writing papers. You know, it's just it's just what we use. And so it definitely has this universal brand to it, um, and I can share it, and, re- and it can be recognized in any part of the world for the most part. So um, I think its brand value in that capacity is very, very strong. And then the third one is um, IP, or intellectual property, and a regulation. It has a ton of patents if you look into it. It has a lot of patents uh, and proprietary software code. Um, that protects all of its products, which is why it hasn't been easy for someone else to create something that's truly competitive to an office product because it really has protected a lot of that uh, and has done a good job doing so year after year. So those are some of, I think, Microsoft's strongest moats. Um, And whenever I think of moats, I do think of its competitors. So who are the people encroaching in this space? Uh, And I think Microsoft is unique in that because it does so many different things, 
It has many different competitors in different capacities. The one big one I would say is Apple, right, when it comes to an operating system. So most people are either Windows users or, or iOS or, or Mac users as far as an operating system goes. And that's a big competitor for that space. But, you know, when you think of other things like data management, for example, Adobe is a competitor, right? Adobe has PDF files um, that do compete with some of the Word documents and all of that. Uh, there's Oracle, there's Amazon. So Amazon has now has a huge market in the cloud space and Microsoft also has really invested a lot of its resources to uh, expanding its cloud space in the past couple of years. Um, so I think depending on what exact product we're talking about, it may have different competitors. But when I think of these competitors, I do still think that Microsoft has been able to maintain its market share pretty well um, in a remarkable fashion. Uh, over the years. And so that makes me feel confident in its moats. Okay, so we talked about circle of competence, and that was a check. Uh, when I think about moat, I would give it another check because I think it has strong moats. Uh, and then third, we're going to talk about management. Um, so this is when I usually log into the website. You know, you go to either about or leadership, there's usually a link like that. And um, there's a, it's very easily found on the Microsoft uh, website to look up leadership. And remember, when you talk about leadership, you have your management leadership, which is often the C-suite people like your CEO, CFO, CTO. Uh, and then you have your board of directors, which is often um, outside individuals, uh, hopefully from diverse backgrounds, that will sit on the board to help make uh, or guide decisions. So when you look at their website for just the management leaders, there's about 17 different listed leaders on there. And I'll go through just a few of them and kind of just some basic uh, background knowledge about them. So, of course, their CEO, since uh, I believe it was 2014 now, has been Satya Nadella. Uh, and I have read quite a bit about Satya Nadella in the past. Uh, he's really an inspiring person, in my opinion. He has a very uh, fascinating personal story. Um, he's been with the company for a long time. It's quick to see that he's extremely intelligent, has high integrity. These are qualities that really make me uh, appreciate him as a leader of Microsoft and uh, want to be a part of anything that he's that he's leading. Um, so it makes me feel good about my choice with with Microsoft, with him being the CEO. The other person I looked at was the CMO, which is Chris Caposella. And he, uh, what struck me about him and his personal stories was that he does quite a bit of community service work, uh, especially for under, underserved children, which I thought was pretty cool um, and somebody in his leadership role. Then there was Kevin Scott, who's a CTO. Uh, he was also very interesting and dynamic. Uh, he runs a podcast. He does some other, you know, he's an author. He does some uh, non-traditional um, stuff as well. Uh, he was previously in Google and um, he has this mission about AI and trying to make AI accessible, not just to the privileged people, but really to make it accessible to everyone, which I thought was a cool mission to have. Uh, and then the CFO is Amy Hood, who I have read quite a bit about as well. She is a woman, which I like. And under her leadership, you've really seen uh, Microsoft's revenue grow quite a bit rapidly in the last couple of uh, years or in the last decade, I would say. Um, so that was very impressive under her leadership. All of them also hold board of director positions in other companies. You know, they um, they hold prominent positions in big other companies, which speaks well to them and their value, um, not just to Microsoft, but even outside Microsoft. 
So for overall, I would say that their management is very impressive. Um, I do think that from what we know and what I can gather, they are people of integrity, have skill, have good track records and success rates. And then I went to the board of directors um, and they have 11 board of directors. Five of them are women. Uh, the chair is John Thompson, who is an African-American male with like 40 years of experience in the technology industry. I do like it when I see that the chair is not the CEO, who's often also on the board, which, uh, but I do like it when they're not at least chairing um, the board of directors just to give some more diversity. So it was nice to see um, that Mr. Thompson is, is the chair now. And then the other board of directors I thought was relatively diverse, not quite as much as I would like, but do come from various backgrounds. There was uh, the CFO of PepsiCo is on there, CFO of Gap is on there. Uh, there's a couple of folks that work uh, or are um, leaders in, in inv investment firms. Um, there's somebody from Wells Fargo, GlaxoSmithKline uh, representatives on there. And then there was a one woman who is the CEO of Fable, which is a company that I really like, but it basically what it does is it promotes reading and books to help with mental wellness. And so I thought that was a nice, fresh perspective um, to have somebody from there be on the board and maybe give a different perspective than some of your more traditional industries for Microsoft. And so I, I thought I identified with that a little bit more. So overall, I thought highly intelligent, successful, diverse group that don't, I don't have any red flags that I, you know, that I'm aware of. And so I gave the management group a check for my, for my perspective. And then last but not least, of course, is price. Um, now with price, it's really coming down to the numbers. And so I worked out the numbers that we have talked about. Uh, and remember, you want to come up with the margin of safety number, right? So a price or a range where it would make sense to buy Microsoft stock uh, based on its actual intrinsic value, the actual value of the company. Uh, so first, there's a couple other numbers that you can also think about. So we talked about ROE and ROIC. So the ROE from Microsoft is 28.7%. That's really good. You want it to be over 15%. And this is looking over a period of 10 years. So I was impressed with that return of equity or RO, ROE. Uh, and then ROIC, which is a return on investment capital, was 20.3%, which again is greater than 15% over 10 years, which is a good number. Um, and so that was also an impressive number to see. The debt of the company, you want it to be less than two uh, years of its earnings, and their debt on average is about 1.35 years. So it meets that criteria as well. So overall has good financial stability. And then you want to figure out its intrinsic value. And we did an episode on this on how to calculate the intrinsic value using owner earnings or the 10 cap method. Or you can, for the most part, look it up on most websites now, and it'll probably give you an intrinsic value based on that. So the intrinsic value roughly is about $128. And today's stock price for Microsoft was $260. So it's a little overvalued because it's you know, the intrinsic value of the company is only about $128. Now, we're not going to buy the intrinsic value, which is the sticker price, right? We are actually going to try to buy way less than that. In, in general, we say half of that. So if we were going to cut it by half, we're looking at now $64. I usually add about a 20% margin on both sides. So roughly, I would say I would feel comfortable probably around 64 would be my lowest end. 
uh, and then maybe about $130 would be the high end. So somewhere in that range is where I'm going to be looking to buy. And then you can also look at the free cash flow, which is a different model to look at as far as finding that price. And remember, free cash flow has to do with the payback time price. Uh, and when you calculate that for Microsoft, you get about $110. Uh, if you buy it at $110, you will get paid back your money in about eight years. So again, it's in that range that we decided the $64 up into about $130. And so it fits in that range. But that's the vicinity of when I would be willing to buy, probably closer to that $100 mark. So again, if I wanted to buy it, I probably wouldn't be able to buy it today because its price is $260. But if you look at the market, it has gone down. Um, in, you know, in the past year, uh, last year, I think it was in March, it went down to 137. So that would have been a time where it was close to that range where I was, I would have been willing to buy it. Keep that in mind when you're, you're thinking, you know, okay, how long am I going to have to wait for? And this is the part that I think is the hardest for value investors is because you do all this work. Now I've decided that this is a good company. And then I calculate my price and I'm like, oh my God, that's really low. It's compared to what it's selling at today. Is it really going to go down? But if you look at history and you look at that company and look at the prices over the last years, three, four, five, six years, more likely than not, that price has come down to that value that, in, that it'll fit your margin because of some event, some event that affected that industry because either of management or a global pandemic or something. Um, and so it does happen and you just need to have patience, which I think is the toughest part. You know, I've worked it all out now. I have my number. I have, you know, I've checked marked everything else. And now it's really just about waiting. Uh, and then when you think about price, don't forget Microsoft also pays dividends, right? So they pay about 56 cents per share quarterly. Uh, which is a, a you know a nice dividend, and you know know that you are going to get some of that money back as well as you as you move forward, and so that also makes it a little nicer or a little bit more uh, enticing to want to buy. So definitely for me, Microsoft would be a buy and a hold. You know, we didn't talk about some of the other benefits, but you know, Microsoft is one of those solid companies where I think compounding will also uh, add a lot of value to my price, right? So compounding is you knowing you know that every year it's probably going to go up a little bit if you look at just its history. And then you're going to add and now you're so if you start off with $100, you made $10 at the end of that. Well, now you're at $110 and now you have that invested. And if you're going to make 10% again, now you're going to grow on money that you didn't initially put in. And so compounding over time is a wonderful thing. Um, and so I definitely would add it to my wish list with the price margins. I'd put some notifications on my phone so that when that price comes to that margin that I have set, I get some notifications and then I really will just wait. I will keep saving in the meantime and putting my money away, available cash into my brokerage account so that when that price drops, when that event happens, I am ready, I'm primed to pull that trigger and be aggressive and buy because that's the strategy that you want to use. So I hope it makes sense kind of going through this example, putting it all together. I think it's really important to do this exercise a couple of times with a bunch of different companies before you're ready. Every time you add a company to your watch list, you really should be going through this in your mind. Take the time to do it. Uh, and then once it's on your watch list, it's gold and you know it's going to be there. And then it's really a matter of waiting to then pull the trigger. I hope it made sense. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I would love to hear from you. Comments and feedbacks on our website, stocks4docs.org. 
uh, please leave us a comment. And uh, until next week, uh, stay well, stay healthy. Cheers. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Stocks for Docs is a podcast designed to educate healthcare professionals on building wealth through value investing. Take the first steps towards securing your future and listen weekly. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn as Stocks for Docs.